You're now listening to The Neighbors You Never Talk To by Culture Real, a podcast where people come to learn more about the cultures living around them. Ah, yes, yeah, it's Julian. Hey, how's it going, man? How's everything? I'm good. Are you are you the guys doing the doing the call for 20 minutes? Yep, that's yeah. us. That's us. Uh, my name's Ardan. This is Brandon. What's up, man? How you doing? What's up, guys? How you guys doing? <laughs> We're doing good. We're doing pretty good. <laughs> I was watching. Uh, I was watching PBS, the, the American masterpieces, and you just become really shocked by um, you know how much the art becomes valued after a while. It's, it's pretty shocking. You know, you treasure. Yeah, I mean, you have treasure right on their nose. They don't even know. But I'm sorry. People respect the talent after you're dead. (laughs) Unfortunate, unfortunate, unfortunate fact of life. (laughs) How are you guys doing, though? We're doing pretty good. Busy Uh, interviewing people, trying to head to protests when we can. A lot going on. We're we're doing another protest. We're actually organizing one uh, for Saturday. Uh, it's going to be, um, about, it's going to be about 1 PM or 3 PM. We're still deciding that. And, uh, uh, and it will be from 14th, uh, 14th street, uh, to about wall street where they, where they actually sold slaves. So we want to kind of, we want to kind of bring up a really powerful point about, um, you know, America's, uh, history with black people and its ties with economic injustice and, you know, kind of just facing a very tough, very difficult reality that the country's greatest levels of economic prosperity has been founded by people that exist within the Republic's underbelly. So mm-hmm. that's what's been really interesting. So I've been really, I'm really excited about Saturday. That's awesome. I mean, we'll definitely be there Saturday as we were planning on going to the anyway, so... <laughs> Hope so, hope so, hope so. You sound like a really interesting guy. I'm actually curious. Uh, like, what do you do? Like, what are your passions, dreams? Like, what are you focused on? Yeah, so, um, so okay. So, my mother is from Honduras. My dad's from Jamaica. I was born in the Bronx. Um, we, we, my mom and dad didn't go to college, but my parents emphasized the importance of getting an education. And I went to Morehouse College. And... Uh, I finished. I finished May twenty, May of twenty twenty, class twenty twenty, and now I'm going over to Columbia uh, University in the fall uh, to get my master's. But in the in 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 that period of time, um, I've never really focused on uh, the importance of just getting a degree or just living up to the standards of um, of of what you know is deemed to be the American dream. I've, I've always believed that our passion, our gifts, our talents, our abilities, or, you know, or just our straight hard work should be dedicated to ensuring that everybody's doing good, uh, make sure that everybody's doing okay, and make sure everybody's surviving, because, you mm-hmm. know, our lives are never going to be of quality, and so everyone's lives are going to be of quality, so I've dedicated myself to really helping people. I worked with Al Sharpton from 16 to 18. I worked for the United Nations, and I worked as a I, I did research on the intersection of disability and race and Shakespeare. And then I created my own political group called New Deal Democrats at Morehouse. I, I brought Bernie Sanders to Morehouse with about 6,000 people. Then we brought over Kamala Harris and, and Pete Buttigieg. Bernie was obviously my favorite. And, uh, you know, registered voters and did, did, did a couple of good things for just to help. So, yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome, man. That's amazing. Right, hands off to you. That, that's great. Hey, man. No, 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 no. Hats off to me. Hats off to the movement. <laughs> Yeah, 
That's actually awesome. I, I, you know, most people like in life kind of like stand by or watch. I'm curious what gives you that drive. Like, why are you so hungry? Uh, you know, I think it's because so I so I had I had, so I grew up tough in the Bronx. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of have a lot of money. My parents loved me, but we didn't have a lot of money. And I think I think sometimes love can can fill the hole of money. Um, but my, my, you know, my, my parents, even though we had a lot of love, didn't have a lot of money, I faced a lot of issues as a young man with, with, uh, economic injustice. Um, you know, at times I, I faced a lot of racial issues, uh, and discrimination. And I, I realized that if I, and, and there was a time when I was a kid, I, I met governor Cuomo and, uh, you know, he didn't list, he didn't look at me and he didn't see me. And I, I, and a lot of times I would talk to people and, and they'd be in powerful positions, but they would never see me. And I always wanted to say, why don't they, they, why don't they see me? Why don't, why don't, why don't I count to them? Cause inherently I felt like I was, I was somebody. So I said, you know, they put my, I told my dad, my dad said, you know, you gotta get that degree and you gotta, you gotta get that, you gotta get that career going to the point where if you want to make a difference and you want to have a voice, no one can ever take um, that thing away from you. And I said, what's that thing? He said, what's in your mind? So I just tried my best to pursue um, intellectual ventures because I knew that once I did that, I can make a bigger impact. And I can, I can me and the people that look like me, people that come from where I come from, that may not look like me, uh, can be seen. Wow, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so, I actually... Oh, Brandon, do you have any questions? No, no, no keep going. Uh, well, I mean, I have one, but go ahead. You can go first. Oh, yeah, I was uh, kind of curious as kind of what does this movement mean to you right now? Yeah. The so, protests and everything. So I'm going to be quite honest with you guys. Um, originally, um, I was much like many people who saw this on the television screen, screens uh, of the protesters going out there, seeing them get tear gas and and shot with rubber bullets. I was scared. Um, however, uh, one recognizes that if there's someone that has said that they've committed themselves to justice and equality, if they believe in humanity as being the central focus of what is valuable, you know, you have to recognize that it is, even though it's scary, uh, it is your duty to go out there and ensure that men like George Floyd, people like, uh, or women like Breonna Taylor, human beings are not able to be murdered um, without any sort of accountability by the state. That's just a humanitarian uh, issue. I mean, that's, that's, that's something that should disturb your soul. So it, on one end, it's a part of it being a duty. And the second part, uh, whether or not you're religious, I, I do think it's something inherently within your conscious that conscience that that causes you to to arise and be motivated to do good. No, I completely agree. That's that's like I said, it's awesome that you you stand up for it. You you make the moves. Most people will watch. Yeah, but I think I think it's primarily I think it's for I think it's either for a lack of understanding of the issue. So so a lot of people feel like that was my big thing when we were doing the march the other day. Was that to say look. I understand what it would mean to somebody because I come from a different angle at it too. So I'm a first generation American, right? A lot of mm -hmm. the time, like 
to I am black as well, but you know, when you're coming here, the relationship with the country as a first generation American is a little bit different because your family chose to come here for the opportunities. But then as a black man, while you're here, it's almost like, you know, you're, 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 you're still an African American guy as a system. And then you're targeted. Sometimes you have to face, you know, discrimination as well. So, so there's, so I understand the angle that people are standing by because they just genuinely don't feel the connection or they don't understand the connection to the issue. But the connection is this, when you're looking at a guy like George Floyd, he's a human being and you're a human being. And you know that if you saw that in person, you'd be disgusted. So allow your disgust to, to rise above your feelings of othering of people of color and get out there and do something. I agree. Actually, I have a interesting question. Not, not a good yeah. question. Um, people, obviously, when they don't understand movements, Black Lives Matter, LGBT, it's kind of like if they haven't experienced it. They're not in their people's shoes. They can't see themselves in it. So to a person who doesn't understand racism, has never experienced it, maybe never even heard of it, how would you explain that to them? The feelings you get from it, like the situations. Oh, you're asking me, like you're asking me, what does it feel like to be racially discriminated against? Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, um, so I think, I think the first thing is that happens is confusion because, you know, you're, you're like, why did they just say that to me? Why are people looking at me? Why am I being stopped? That's the first thing that happens is confusion. The second thing um, that happens is, um, is fear. Cause you're, or, or, or it's either, it's either fear or an attack of one's ego. So there, there's discomfort. And what, 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 what follows from there um, is defense. So you, you become, so, so since you feel like you're unsafe, you have to defend yourself and you're like, why, what, what's going on? What, why am I? So I think that could be part of like, people say, Oh, why are they resisting? Why are they, why are they? Because the, the person is scared when you're a person of color and you're being discriminated against, you feel like your back's against the wall because you feel like you're the other. Um, you feel like the Republic, the country um, does not care about you. So it's just you as a person, one individual against an entire state in that mm-hmm. moment. And you know, in a way, you believe in your heart, you feel within your own history that if the state would kill you, the color of your skin prevents from that murder from being seen as being a murder. It just becomes a killing. And murder in the sense of being a wrongful killing, but a killing just being a killing, justifiable in a way. Yeah. Actually, I, I know Brandon has a couple of questions for you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, super interesting so far. Um, and I just wanted to ask, um, what, are, what are you getting your master's in? So I'm getting my master's in nonprofit management. So learning how to, how to um, work uh, mission-based organizations, leading people towards uh, directing themselves to ameliorating some, some massive societal issues. Um, and, and so, so just building those connections to, to build power structures uh, that can create justice. That's kind of my big thing. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and I mean, how do you, so once you get your master's and I guess we all kind of do this, we go to school and we, we pursue something and we have like that big goal, that big, um, 
uh, I guess we kind of make a checklist. Is there anything like that in your head? Like, where do you see, like, I don't know, yourself and what would you like to be doing in like five, seven years from now? Maybe going a little, like after working for a nonprofit for a bit, doing like consulting, but after that, probably going to law school. But I got to be yeah. honest with you, my, my background is very peculiar. So I don't like, I don't know how I got into a lot of the places that I got into. Um, a lot of those instances of like me getting into the UN, working with Sharpton, getting to Columbia, a lot of those were just instances of luck uh, and timing. So I, if I were to tell you what could happen, I didn't know that we would be creating something like this and working to, uh, you were part of it, man, like working to walk with about five, 5,000, 8,000 people across uh, New York City uh, yeah. to, to about to, to, to City Hall or, or, the, or the New York court steps. You know, so, so these instances of, of, of happenings, I mean, no one can calculate. And, and, and my, my own grandfather, a merchant marine, um, jumped, randomly jumped off a boat and stayed in America. So, you know, you just don't know um, about these instances of chance. So I, I, I couldn't answer you, but I, I, I feel like, you know, I hope I don't change as a person. So how do your parents, knowing what we know about your parents and I guess them raising you, we said your mom is from Ecuador and your dad's from Jamaican? No, Honduras, Honduras, Honduras. Mom is from Honduras. Okay. Yeah. So how do you, how do they feel about what you're doing right now, actively like protesting and organizing? Uh, they're kind of used to it. You know, before it was cool. Like when I was like, wow, I can't believe I do this. I, I, we're going out there, we're doing this. And now they're kind of like, okay, son, you know, make sure you take out the garbage and fix your room, okay? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I guess to them, I'm just crazy. But, uh, or no, my my father, my father, he's, um, you know, and I think Christ, my mom's from a a small village, not Honduras called Aguan. So, you know, this is all just strange. Everything is strange. Um, You know, so, so, but the most, the most down earth thing that she could tell me is to clean up my room. You know, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still, you know, I'm still a young guy. So, uh, and, uh, uh, but, but my dad actually, so I, I was actually very timid. I didn't want to go out there because of, of the violence that was being committed to the protesters. Um, but my dad told me, he said, Julian, how in the world could you go out there and you, you present a person that wants to fight for justice and you stay home? You got to be, you got to be true to your own word. And, and, and I said, oh, I said, I said, so you telling me to go out there? He was like, yes. And, and, and I said, okay, but if he probably, if he probably didn't feel comfortable with it, I wouldn't have went. Uh, but I trust my father a lot. So yeah. when, when he told me that it, it, it gave me the courage because I knew my family supported me to do it. No, that's amazing. And you know, that kind of, that, that makes me want to ask about like the dynamic between you and your father. I mean, him being a Jamaican man um, coming here, I guess maybe, I don't know when he came here, but coming here and seeing what he sees and then kind of raising you and bringing you up and and supporting you in terms of like, basically like on the forefront of social justice and telling you like, go out there, yeah. do your thing. Like, is, is there anything from his upbringing that kind of like shaped that mindset for him to kind of also be like on that, um, proactive side of justice because you know not every parent wants their child you know protesting but you you know go ahead yeah 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 no 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 no. i'm sorry for interrupting please go ahead no no go ahead that's pretty much it i was just rambling (laughs) 
No, you were not. Um, my father was born in St. Anne, Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Uh, St. Anne is a parish that, that birthed both uh, Marcus Garvey and mm-hmm. Bob Marley. So in this parish, there, were, there was a lot of uh, a ways of, of liberation and conscience going on, a scholarly activism, an emphasis on education in St. Anne. So it was very pronounced. So I, I, I think probably because of his background and where he grew up in Jamaica, in this small parish, this small, beautiful parish that really emphasized education and activism, that's probably what enabled him, even though he didn't do it himself, because he had, I think, I think my dad had a learning disability, but it was never diagnosed. Okay. So he was never able to really do well in school. But he, he said that he prayed when I was born that, that I would be able to read straight, which happened, thank God. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so, but there was always a focus in the house that, you know, it's never being insecure about the color of your skin. Um, it's never being insecure about being black. You know, I think, I think for me, the, the biggest thing that my father gave me was a sense of confidence. I have no insecurity around my own race, none whatsoever. I feel completely comfortable as a black man, mm-hmm. completely. And so much so that I can speak um, to any person, uh, irrespective of what they look like, because I'm, I'm sure in myself, and I realize that these are just, you know, ideas uh, made, by, uh, made by man. And I, and I realize that, you know, at the end of the day, we are the human race, and we have to overcome these, these, these mass challenges that cause us to separate from each other. So, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I think probably my father gave me a self-confidence. And a realization that your life means nothing unless you're living it for others. And lastly, that you have to be able to read and write and to grow intellectually if you want to, you know, do something positive for others. Right. Oh, that was beautiful, man. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm I'm Haitian, by the way, so you know your words. Oh, are respect, brother. Respect. You <laughs> <laughs> let you let the only 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 place to to, to not get taken out, man. <laughs> I, I started the fight. No, no. <laughs> everyone says that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, nah, you guys are brutal warriors, man. Nobody plays with the Haitians, man. <laughs> brutal. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know. I don't know if to say thanks, but it's not like I was there. But yes, thank. I mean, my parents always say the same thing. Like, they're very, very prideful about the fact that you know, eighty. Um, it, 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 I could say it this way. It's for sure. Like. I think independence and freedom and a lot of the things that we're fighting for today run in our blood. Um, yeah, you know, to I make agree. Haitians, Caribbeans, everyone. Like, I think it's just uh, we're you know we're back into a corner and like we're we're realizing that we have to speak up and we have to fight about the things that we deserve. Um, and then my yeah, final and, and, go ahead, yeah. Oh, but I, again, like I agree. So going to my mom's side, she was Gari, uh, Honduran, yeah. but she's something called Garifu now. And so, so the, so we're, so this about, we're making about 1% of the human population. And so we are a mix of the Arawak Indian and the West African. And, and we were actually brought to St. Vincent and uh, we were so rowdy and we were so tough to handle. They got even on people that they, that they threw them out of St. Vincent and put them on a boat and they just crashed in Honduras. So they, so they, they, so they, so so, so even even on both ends, there was a feeling of of, of rebellion. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And you know, you know what? A, a lot of people 
I don't think people understand the same way racism is kind of like, um, I, I like to think of racism as like a torch that's passed down from uh, generation to generation. And I think the same can kind of be held on to the concept of rebellion too. Yeah. Um, I don't think I don't think any of these issues, you know, dissipate because of one discussion. Like I, I think that's a lot of a lot of people don't understand that. Like, uh, you know, how do you see color? Like, you know, color is not a thing, and but it but it is like because mm-hmm. you know it's it's like an historical thing, and it just mm-hmm. doesn't evaporate, and it's it's going to take just as long to you know go away um, because it's been here for a while. So like you know, you telling me about your mom and that village that she came from, like, I think it, you know, it all makes sense. Once you put all putting the, you put all the pieces together, the puzzle, the picture becomes clear. Um, why yeah. are we, where we are today? Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I was going to ask you another question, um, about, oh, so you said you grew up in the Bronx. Um, yeah. So the, the most, Bronx. most important lesson that growing up in the Bronx has taught you, if any? Oh, dream big. I, I, I think, yeah, I think what, what I, I always say that, I, I think the reason is because, you know, I, no matter what I saw, and I saw a lot of dark things. Um, growing up in, in Fordham Road, growing up then living in Etowah houses, then we get a shot to live in Riverdale and, uh, cops would stop me and then get gentrified out the neighborhood and go back to Gun Hill Road. Like one thing that it's always taught me is that no matter what happens to you, as long as you got that hope inside your heart and you have hope inside your mind, and you have a dream inside and you work and you work like a dog. And if you just take the shots that come along with it and you, and you dream big sense that you never let anyone deny your own humanity. I know I'm saying sounds childish and irresponsible, uh, but I, I believe that you can, you can, you can, you can break through. You know, I've seen the worst things. I've been called the worst things, but I've never owned any of those things because my dreams always were bigger than my reality. So I, I eventually my reality is matched up to what I imagined. No, I, I, perfectly said, man. Oh, and you don't know the amount of people that would resonate with that. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to hear that. Um, I, I think um, I think I have one more question about your grandfather. Um, you mentioned yeah. something about him jumping off a ship. <laughs> I just wanted to know. Yeah, yeah, my grandpa. Yeah, he was he was he was he was the ultimate rebel. He was crazy, man. We we don't talk about him much, but <laughs> what did he do? Crazy. He was a merchant marine. He was a merchant marine in Hon- uh, Honduras. So like, he grew up in a small village. Yeah. You, but but they but they said when he was younger, like a kid, even though there was no school, he had a very he had a very good handwriting, and he always he always kind of knew how to sense an opportunity coming. And um, he jumped, and then he saw that there were merchant marines coming, and he said, "I want to be a part of you guys." So he was traveling. This small village boy from Honduras, this Garifuna boy, yeah. was traveling to to Egypt and traveling uh to europe and i i think it's probably and and so when he saw america uh i think he came to to america i think it was the second time coming to port and they were expecting him to say okay you know uh benito let's go he said okay okay i'm coming and then this this, this, this guy just jumps off 
crazy guy. <laughs> he never, I mean, I mean, and he gets the citizenship, but like he, he just jumped off the boat, literally, and uh, snuck his way into America. So if my grandpa didn't have uh, that kind of confidence, if my grandpa was like 5'3". He wasn't even a big dude, but he was real crazy, uh, Benito, man. And, and if, it, if he didn't take that shot, uh, um, uh, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have, I, you know, we wouldn't be in America. And then my dad and my mom, cause he was late to work or late to school. He was still late to college. He never finished. He met my mom on the train, on the, on the two train, in the Bronx. And he, and he had the courage to kind of get up and talk to her. He probably wasn't late and he didn't have the courage to talk to my mom and he wasn't good with timing. Um, I probably wouldn't be born. So I think, you know, having the, the courage to, Seize the moment is probably what I learned from my from my forefathers, if anything. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was beautiful. Wow. It's a crazy story. <laughs> Long live Benito, man. Oh man, I want to meet this yeah. dude. Yeah, Benito, he was you know, man, he you did not he was five they called him um they there was this African dictator, man. They and they called him this African dictator. Ma, wait, what's that? What's that? Ma, what's that African dictator they called grandpa? What's the African dictator they called Grandpa? <laughs> okay, she told me don't say it. It's Indian mean though. Look, so <laughs> Indian mean. Like he was, he was so tough. Um, but but I mean, but my grandpa, he was. I I you know I thank him for his 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 radical like his radical behavior because that's why we're all here now. Beautiful, that's beautiful man. I'm I'm so glad that. Your parents took the time out to tell you about Benito, man. Like, I heard no stories. <laughs> I'm literally like, I'm like, I'm like at this age. Well, I'm 28, so I'm at this point where I'm just now asking my parents about like, um, you know, their their grandparents or uh, you know, stories from back home. And um, yeah, my mom is like, she's like packed with them. So, um, no, that was great. I think that's important to. It's important to know because because you know you're never going to be as crazy as Benito. So nothing that you'll ever do will be crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Not again.